two men were out on a lake one Sunday morning. They decided to skip church and go fishing. So they were on the lake fishing, and uh, they had been fishing for a couple hours, and they weren't catching anything. And one of the gentlemen looked over at the other and said, you know, we really should have gone to church today. Uh, We should have been there, and boy, this isn't working out for us. I I wish I was at church right now. And um, the other guy said, well, I don't know. He said, I'm fine being out here because if, uh, if I hadn't uh, come out here to go fish on the lake, I, I wouldn't have gone to church anyway. He goes, really, why not? And he goes, well, my, my wife's sick, and I'd have had to stay home with her. <laughs> Took some of you a little longer to get that than others. That's, that's kind, of, kind of like a wave here. So There's a picture, isn't it? Sometimes for us, we, we have so many different scenarios going on in our lives, and it's always easy to say, no to the church, isn't it? There's always a reason. And part of that is spiritual warfare, quite frankly. But the truth of it is, uh, I want to do a sermon today on <clears throat> why be a part of the local church. I, I, got, I just visited with a gentleman this week, and I've had this conversation several times, multiple times uh, over the history of the church. Someone who tells me, you know, I've decided I'm just not going to go to church anymore. I think I can just do church by myself. I'll just be doing church at home just wanted to make you aware. Uh, I'm just going to be doing church at home from this point forward. And, um, and I just prayed about it, and I don't feel like I have to go anymore. And so my wife and I just wanted you to know we won't be attending anymore. And uh, so I talked to him for a while, and I shared with him why I thought uh, that uh, that was probably not a biblical response, and uh, just kind of philosophically, or excuse me, theologically, how that probably, you, you may stay home, but you're not doing church by yourself because that was his name. He said, I'll just do church by myself. Well, that's an oxymoron. Uh, that's like saying, I'm going to be married by myself. Um, you, you can't really be married by yourself. You can think, I mean, you can make up a little fictitious person, those kind of things if you want to, uh, but you can't be married by yourself, and you can't do church by yourself. The very word ekklesia means called out to the gathering it means the assembly, the gathering, the congregation. Even in Greek literature, when we see the word ekklesia, it was when people were called out to a group. When you were called out to the military, it was the ekklesia, called out to a group. If you were called out to an organization, you join a group, you're called, you're invited to be a part of a group. That's the ekklesia. And so Paul uses that terminology. The New Testament uses that terminology of the ekklesia, the assembly, the congregation. The, the, what we now know as church. And, uh, you know, when we talk about that, uh, the reality is this, is that there is the, theologians say there's the invisible and the visible church. And it, and it looks like this. <clears throat> the visible church is everybody that you see here today. Those that you drove down the road and maybe saw other churches, people driving in, that's the visible church. The people that we see attending church, the people who call themselves believers today. But then there's the invisible church. And the invisible church is who God sees as the church. Those who truly have accepted him. We know from Matthew chapter 24 and various other places in the scripture, not everyone that calls themselves by the moniker Christian or says that they know Christ are actually believers. In Matthew 24, some say, Lord, Lord, uh, he said, I, I reject you, for I never depart from you, I never knew you. He said, Lord, I, went to, I, I did these things. I, I, I tried to help. I was here. I, I served. I did all these different things. And he said, I, did, I didn't know you. You never trusted in me as your Savior. You never committed your life to me. And to others, he will say, 
I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to see me. And they said, Lord, when did we do this? And he said, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. You believed, you knew me. That's the picture of the invisible church. The invisible church looks like this. Those who today have trusted Christ sincerely. Today and the past. Those who have died. Matter of fact, did you know the church is eternal? All those who have passed away and who know Christ are part of the church. And the church will continue because it's the body, it's the ecclesia, that we will all be together one day in heaven. And then God will create a new earth. And that will be for the church, for the body of Christ. So there's the visible and there's the invisible. Mark Driscoll gives a great quote on understanding what the church is from a, a technical definition. It's the local church is a community of believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord in obedience to Scripture. They organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical ordinances of baptism and communion, are unified by the Spirit, seek to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as testimonies to the world for God's glory. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. When Peter said, uh, Who do you say that I am? I say that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus Christ said, Upon that rock I'm going to build my church. He was speaking of, that, of what was to come. I will build my church. And then we see it occurring in Acts chapter 2 as we see the church beginning and exploding. So this morning I want us to talk about uh, what it means to be a part of the local church and why we should be a part of a local church. Now, <clears throat> I want to use a little illustration here for you this morning. And let me move this out of the way for just one second so that most of you can see. And, um, you know, there's really four types of people who are in the church today. <clears throat> the first one are, or the first group is attenders, people who attend, people who kind of show, just show up and come. And they come fairly regularly. You know, maybe don't know their name, don't know who they are. They don't really get involved, uh, but they just kind of attend. They kind of check, out, check the box and they come, and uh, they're faithful to attend. So they're attenders. The second group uh, are a group called seekers. Uh, don't know Christ, uh, but something has stirred in their lives. Maybe they grew up in church, but they've fallen away. Maybe they had a terrible experience. And so now they're seeking. They're kind of investigating. They're wanting to know, God, is this you? Is there something real? God, I want to connect with you. I, I want to know. I'm seeking to understand. I'm seeking to know. It's a group of seekers. There's a third group called consumers, and they're wondering where their chair is right now uh, because <clears throat> where's my chair? It's supposed to be provided for me. And by the way, it better not be metal either. <clears throat> There's a group called consumers. And consumers are people who say, it's about me. We saw the video, Me Church. And that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's about me. Church is about me. Matter of fact, I, I, I want the music to be right. I want your preaching to be better. I want children's ministry to be more entertaining. Uh, I would like uh, a better seat. I don't want somebody sitting next to me. I'd like some more space here. And you get into that entertainment mentality. Like you've just gone to the movies and you're here to consume. They don't give, they don't serve, but they consume. And a lot of people see church in that manner, to consume. You know what's interesting, though? The church was never supposed to be about you. It's always been for His glory. It's always been the purpose. And so when we start with a mindset, it's about me, 
we're already going down the wrong direction. We've already missed the purpose of church. And then there's a fourth group, and they're providers. They serve, they give, they go, what, what needs to be done? Where can I help? What do you need? That's the provider mentality. That's the picture of the church. And you've got to decide, which chair are you? You an attender? Are you a seeker? Are you a consumer? Are you a provider? We all fit into one of those categories, ladies and gentlemen. And the question is, where are you today? Which chair are you sitting in today? Um, you know, I had a penny up here. Um, here it is. It's in my pocket. And some of you have probably seen this illustration before, but uh, let me ask you a question. If I came to you and I said, you know what? I will give you $100,000 right now, or I'll give you one penny. I'll give you a penny today, and then I'll double that penny every day. So you get one today, two tomorrow, four the next day. How many of you would take the penny? Raise your hand. That's right, half of you, because you, you already know this illustration. That's why you're raising your hand. Okay? Here, here's how it goes. At day one, you got a penny. Day two, you got two pennies. Day, day three, you got four. Day five, you have 16 cents. Day 10, you have $5.12. Day 15, you've got $163.84. And day 20, you've got $5,242.88. At that point, $100,000 still looks pretty good, doesn't it? Let's go to day 25. Day 25, $167,772.16. That's taking one penny. And each day doubling, two pennies, four pennies, six pennies. Then day 30, you have $5,368,709.12. Although most people would say, I'll take the 100000 The good bet, the best bet, would be to take the penny. And can I tell you, God has given every one of you a penny. Yes, financially, you can use this illustration, but your life is a penny that can be multiplied over a thousand times by what you're investing it in. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. What are you doing with the penny of your life, the penny that you've been given? The Bible in Hebrews chapter 10, if you want to turn with me, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, gives us an implicit understanding, a complicit order to be a part of the local church, to be a part of worship. And in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast to the confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, not neglecting the assembly, the ecclesia, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day of coming. So, as you see the day of coming, that's, I just went back to my roots right there. As you see the day coming near, drawing near. Verse 25, one more time. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The ecclesia. Question becomes... <clears throat> Not if you're going to need the church, but when you're going to need the church. This week, which is a normal week, you know, I had someone call me, a lady called me and said, my, uh, they've, been, they've been out for a year, year and a half, and they called me and said, uh, 
my husband has cancer. Can you come see us? And so I went to see him, and we visited for a while. I said, man, I, I'm, I, I'm so sorry. We, I don't know how. We just kind of fell out. We just kind of fell away and not connected. And I really want to be connected. Can you pray for me? And so we prayed, and we visited for a while. But they need the church. Another family, a problem with their children, problem with a child, a significant problem with a teenager. And they weren't connected at all. And they need the church. Is there any way you can help us connect, do something? Another, their marriage. We need help. And you know what? We're always going to be there to help. We want to. But can I tell you how much better and how much easier and how much stronger it is when you're already connected as opposed to you show up and you don't know anybody? Because we can meet with you and we can counsel and pray and we're going to do those things, but we can't build you instant relationships. We can't instantly connect you. That's time. And that's one of the purposes of the church. So let me tell you this, guys. It's not a if you're going to need a church. It's a when you're going to need the church. And the truth of it, you need it now. This is a time to grow. And this is a time to be nourished. And this is a time for you to be ministering to those folks and making an impact. So it's not a if. It's a when. And it's a how much. So I want us to talk for just a moment here uh, about church. You know, one of the things this guy told me, he said, you know, if it was like the New Testament church, I would be there. But it's not like the New Testament church anymore. And um, he had a lot of, I don't know what he was talking about. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he'd been drinking too much. Well, I don't know what he was talking about. But nevertheless, excuse me for saying that. Um, and I said, New Testament church. And I didn't go into this, but let's just talk about it. I, I debated whether I should share this with you because for some of you, it'll disturb you a little bit. But here's the thing about the Bible. Uh, if you know, a lot of times people, well, the Bible's just made up, and man just put what he wanted in there. Let me tell you, if man just put in what he wanted, what he wanted to put in there, he wouldn't have put some of the things I'm about to share with you. That's the, that's the beauty of Scripture. It's raw, and it it's not just prescriptive in the sense that it tells you this is what you do. It's descriptive of what really happens and what sinful man really does. So let's talk about the early church. As wonderful as it was, as Christ gave, died and gave himself for the church, as he instituted the church, as he began the church, as the Holy Spirit fell upon people and they got radically saved, and we see the explosion of the church. Also, there were problems in the church. Let's talk about that. Problems that happen in the New Testament church. So next time somebody says, I don't go to church because it's not like it was in the New Testament. Well, let's just talk about that for a second. First of all, the New Testament church, Acts, it's just getting started. It's just weeks old. Acts chapter 5, we see people lying already right before the church, lying before God and everybody, and we see gross hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira come before them. They go, hey, we just sold our land. We want to give all the money to the church. See us? We're giving all the money to the church. And they said, Oh, really? Is this all of it? Uh, yep, this is everything. And um, they were lying, and the Holy Spirit struck them dead, just like that. I mean, and the Bible says, and they were filled with awe and fear. I bet they were. And so the uh, Holy, Holy Spirit was a little ha- harder right there at the beginning of the church. But um, so they were already lying and hypocrisy. Just go to the next chapter, Acts chapter 6. As a matter of fact, you ought to read those first few verses. What do we see right there? We see uh, preferential treatment and racism. Also, if you go to Galatians chapter 2, we see Peter himself being racist, okay? So it it was already occurring in the early New Testament church. Uh, You go to, um, matter of fact, let me look at my notes here so I don't get too far off, by the way. Uh, You go to Acts chapter 15, we see legalism. We see them being legalistic and requiring things that Christ did not require. We see sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we see 
we see uh, it was a small church at this point, and they were suing each other. There were people in there suing each other. We see in, uh, in chapter 11 the abuse of the Lord's Supper. They literally, some of the people were literally coming in drunk before they were receiving communion. Okay? Most of the time, that doesn't happen here. All right? Most of you are pretty good about that. <laughs> Most of the time. I have a story, but I'm not going to share it. All right? <laughs> I, really, I really do have a story. We don't do communion at night very often. Um, so, <laughs> abusing spiritual gifts. Some were saying, I got this spiritual gift, and it's superior. And they were bragging and abusing and looking down upon others who didn't have those gifts. So we see ego and pride dominating. In chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the lack of giving. And then in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, the division amongst church members. I think that just about covers it. Those are all reasons I've heard people, I don't go to church. because You would have never gone to church. Never in history. You would have never made it. Okay? And the truth of it is, uh, that's usually just a smoke screen, isn't it? So, the New Testament church was perfect, not perfect, and we aren't either. So, next time you hear somebody, there's hypocrites in the church, that's right. And you can come and join us and give one more if you like, but that's been going on forever. Historically, that's always been. So why should I be a part of the local church? You know, here's one of the best, most compelling reasons, I think. And although the church didn't exist as it does today uh, in Jesus, in the context, do you ever think about this? Jesus went to church. <laughs> Jesus, he's God in the flesh. And he went. You ever thought about that? I mean, when he's 12 years old, they can't find him. And they go back two days later and go, where were you? Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? I'd be in my father's house. He's in the temple. And then the synagogue. Synagogue would be started with, it wasn't the temple, uh, but it was kind of, if you wanted to, to give it a comparison to the local church in Judaism, this would be the best example we could have. And they would build one on the highest point in the city, and they'd start a synagogue. And um, it's interesting. Jesus would go, and, and half the time they'd kick him out, tell him they didn't want him, and he'd still kept going. I just think, I just find that completely fascinating. Uh, matter of fact, if you uh, look at, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was a custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read, and, and then they were mad at him, okay? And they basically kicked him out. And then Mark chapter 3, verse 1, And again he entered the synagogue, and a man there was withered, with a withered hand. If there was ever a time for reform in the church, and Jesus is blasting the religious hierarchy, and he keeps going to church, and he keeps showing up, I wonder why. I wonder if Jesus was not setting an example for us. Number two, it's something that, that we were to do to come to corporate worship. God always intended worship to be corporate at times. Excuse me, to be an appointed time of worship before the assembly. So, uh, that's the good reason right there. Jesus went to church. Number two, it was an apostolic precedent. What do I mean by that? In Acts chapter 2, let's read Acts chapter 2. Uh, the first sermon that I ever preached... Uh, at this church was from this passage, and uh, we were meeting in a home at this time in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, koinonia, that was a time of fellowship where they'd come together and, and sing and uh, fellowship, the, the ecclesia, the koinonia, to the breaking of bread is communion and to prayer. The church started right here, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were coming together and had all things common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all for anyone who had need, and by day by day, attending the temple together 
uh, it, what's interesting in the early churches, they were meeting every day. If we wonder if uh, we should get together every day, uh, we should, once a week, later on we see it moving uh, to once a week. By the way, you know, at this point, it's Saturday worship. Isn't it interesting? I think, which is another reason I didn't list, that um, worship was on Saturday. That was the Jewish time. That was the Sabbath. And Christians, because of the day that Christ rose from the grave, moved it to Sunday. If it didn't matter, if you're just going to do it on your own, why would you go to all the trouble to, to move worship, to move one of the most holy traditions of all the Scripture to a different day? But we see that occurring here. In verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, received their food with glad, generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Authors of the New Testament always identified churches by their location. We see that in Acts. We see it in Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, Colossians chapter 4. And think about the churches of Revelation, seven churches of Revelation, specific churches, specific local churches that the Bible addresses, the local church. We don't even see a hint that that would not have been the way that it was or that God would have uh, blessed anything else. So we see that's been going on since the beginning. Uh, the local church is where you submit your spiritual and physical needs. Let's read James chapter 5. James chapter 5, great passage. James chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. Uh, verse 16, I love this passage right here. And uh, great insight. Uh, we'll start with verse 14 in James uh, chapter, matter of fact, start with verse 13. James 5, 13. Is anyone among you sur- suffering? Let him pray. Anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And that's something that we do. We will pray over people. Literally, we'll anoint them with oil and pray for them. Uh, you see that word elder used. I know some of you grew up uh, where maybe the deacons were the leaders of the church, and, and that's fine. Uh, the word diakonos means to serve, and they were, initi- they were originally started to serve the widows. That's, what they were, uh, they began, that's how they began. And so, but we, we see the term elder or presbytery. We see that as the board, the, the ruling uh, group of the church. And so that's why we use an elder board at our church. And so we see a structure being listed, and we see accountability be listed. We see that ministry was to happen through the church. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. And he's not just talking about physical. It certainly can be physical. It can also be spiritual or emotional. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. The local church is where we recognize our earthly spiritual authority. We see that here in this James text. We also see it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. The local church is where we should focus the majority of our biblical giving. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in chapter 8, and in chapter 9. Um, being a part of the local church enables you to fulfill your biblical responsibilities to the body of Christ. Now, we don't have time to go through this, but if you look at Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 11... Uh, we see in Romans 12, we see the gifts, and we talk, it talks about the body and building up the body of Christ. And how else do you do that if you don't come together to church? How do you minister, and how do you use those gifts, and how do you build up the body if not through the local church? 
The local church is the primary mechanism that Christ used to accomplish the Great Commission. To go, the Bible tells us, uh, into all the nations. And it talks about the, the baptism. The church is commissioned to use the ordinances here and to go and to make disciples. And that's why we do that here at Rock Point. And that's through the local church. You can say, well, I could just do that myself. Would you really? Matter of fact, would you, uh, would you be able to seek out families and encourage them to go on the field and then support them yourself? Uh, what about, we're also a part of the corporate program where there's over 3,500 missionaries that we're supporting as well as the missionaries called out of our church as well as the church planters out of our church that we're supporting right now so that we can see it multiply. And we do that as a local body. We do that as the church. And it is one of the primary institutions given to us in Scripture. Uh, you know, people say, some people say there's three or four or five institutions given in Scripture, but virtually everybody would agree there are, are at least three. First one's government, no doubt about it. Uh, that's biblical, ordained by God, that government uh, is an institution ordained by God. Number two, uh, marriage and the family. Sometimes you split those and you say marriage and family is different, but for our purposes today, we'll say marriage and the family is an institution. Third institution, the church. These are biblically mandated institutions that God gave us. And you can, uh, you can do worship by yourself, but can I tell you, you can't do church by yourself because of the ten reasons we just listed and talked about. Now, let's talk about this because I hear this all the time, reasons to leave your church. People talk about coming from other churches, people leaving the church, and I get that. And let me say, there's sometimes there are reasons you should leave your church. Sometimes you should. And let's just briefly talk about reasons... Uh, that you should leave your church. Reasons that you could. It doesn't mean you have to, but it would probably be permissible. First of all, God has called you to a specific place for a specific function or a specific service. In other words, God's calling you another church. Here's something I'm supposed to do. Here's something I need to go and do. Number two, you've moved out of the area of your current church. Number three, your church does not affirm or practice the Great Commission. Number, uh, next, the Bible is not recognized as the authoritative final word of God. Uh, your, your church is falling into superstitious beliefs or practices and rejecting the Word of God or making something superior to the Word of God. Maybe somebody had a word or somebody was given a vision, but it doesn't match up with Scripture. Uh, the church seeks to cover up the immorality of its leaders or there's no financial account accountability for church leadership. Hey, let me say this. We all, not everybody, but a lot of you have come to church. I mean, I came from another church. So it's not wrong to make a move sometimes. But let me give you reasons not to leave your church, okay? So maybe you're here today, and um, you're visiting us, and you're thinking about, I'm thinking about leaving my church. Let me give you reasons not to, okay? Don't leave your church if this because somebody hurt your feelings. Somebody hurt your feelings. Somebody made you mad. Preacher said something. Somebody didn't say hi. Somebody didn't hug your neck. Somebody forgot your name. Grow up, okay? <clears throat> How does that work for you at work? It hurt my feelings. I'm leaving. What do you do for your child in second grade? I quit school. It hurt my feelings. You don't like the music or the time of the services. Your favorite staff member left. Your children don't think it's fun. You've not been given the position you think you deserve. You hear there's a better preacher down the road. Your church enters into a building program. <laughs> you think you just don't need to go anymore. You can just do it by yourself. And let me tell you something. Church membership says, I commit to Christ and his body. 
That's why we invite you. We have a starting point next week. Tonight we have dinner with the pastor. If you want to come and find out more about it, we invite you to. And next week we have a starting point. Come and find out about our doctrine, about the whole church. 11 o'clock, we'll have it right over here on the other side of this wall. Love to have you come be a part. We think it's important. I submit to Christ and his spiritual leadership through church and through growth and accountability. It's a type of picture of our heavenly citizenship. And it's, it's a picture of us wearing the team jersey. It's a testimony uh, of our faith and what we believe. It's important. And I'm going to tell you, there, there are opportunities to serve here. Uh, we've got great opportunities to serve here. Our preschool and children's ministry are great opportunities, and there are plenty of opportunities. We encourage you to get involved. Ushers and greeters, our sound, media, and lights. matter of fact, if you're an engineer, we want to talk to you after the service, okay? But even if you don't, if you're interested in helping us with those areas, we'd love it. Small group leaders, host homes, servant providers who will do whatever needs to be done. We've got things in our marriage ministry. We've got things uh, in our care ministry, all kind of different opportunities. You just have to say, hey, I'm available. I'm ready to help. Show me where, but help me find the place that I need to be. So we want to encourage you to do that. You know, um, let me just tell you a story for a moment. When I was growing up, first of all, I, I really wasn't that good of a kid at church. I mean, I, I was a good kid, but um, I was a brat. And, uh, you know, you probably didn't enjoy having me in your class. I remember in third grade, you know, while the, while the Sunday school teacher was teaching, kids don't do this. Uh, I, I climbed out the window and left. You know, and there's only like eight kids. Like he wouldn't have noticed or something. I was praying. I thought there were more kids in here, you know. I mean, and so I, I, was, I was, you know, I was ADHD and probably some other letters they didn't have back then. And, and um, so, I mean, I wasn't a fun kid to, to have. But... In first grade, in kindergarten, there, I had a teacher at school, Mary Thompson. That was my first time in first grade, by the way. And um, Mary Thompson, and my brother, too. I thought I'd share that for him as well. We, we, all, we all enjoyed first grade a lot, a couple times. But uh, Mary Thompson, first time I was in first grade, she, uh, she taught me. And I remember her praying at school. And then when I came to Sunday school, when I go to church, she was there. And she taught there as well. And I just thought, oh, that's kind of neat how that works. And I thought everybody did that. I thought all your teachers did that until I got to second grade. And my second grade teacher uh, didn't teach at our church. But I, I just thought that was kind of, you know, it, didn't, it just kind of stuck with me. And she just kind of made an impact. It's where I really learned to pray and to be still and quiet. And, and Mary Thompson taught me that. In third grade, I had a guy named Ron Gresham, the guy I was talking about. And I, I snuck out of his room. He was so nice to me. He wasn't... He wasn't a brilliant man, didn't, wasn't a brilliant scholar. He wasn't the best teacher, but he cared. I liked him, and he liked me. I felt like he really, really liked me. And he invested that penny in my life. He was a man, invested that penny. And I just, I, I was always thankful. I, I, my face all li- always lit up, and his always lit up when I'd see him. And I was a brat. <laughs> and then in fifth grade, there was a, la- a lady named Miss Morrow who taught. And she loved Jesus. There was something about her when she would speak and talk about her relationship with God. And I thought, I want that. I'd not accepted Christ at that point, but I thought, I, I want that. In seventh grade, there was a senior in high school named David Terrell, and he invested in me and spent time with me, and, and he loved Christ, and there was something different about his faith that ultimately led me to faith. In tenth grade, there's a lady named Kathleen Bolton who uh, didn't have an education. She had problems with her children at home. Her husband didn't come, but she came faithfully, and she let me ask hard questions. And in Sunday school, we talked about heart and things that, struggles that I had about faith and belief. And she let me talk about those. And can I tell you, the truth of it is, is, yeah, I'm here because God called me. Yeah, I'm here. God gave a vision. But can I tell you, 
I'm here really because Mary Thompson took that penny and invested in my life in first grade. And in third grade, Ron Gresham cared enough about me, and he's, he's passed on. I remember telling his wife about 15 years ago, you know, I said, one of the reasons I'm in ministry is because your husband. In fifth grade, Miss Morrow, who just loved Jesus. I don't remember anything she did, but I remember she loved Jesus. I knew that. And David Terrell, who was a senior in high school. Can I tell you this? I'm standing here right now because of my kindergarten and first grade teacher, my third grade Sunday school teacher, my fifth grade because of senior in high school. That's why I'm standing here. You're here listening to me because Mary Thompson took that penny and she used it. Yeah, you might be at church somewhere else. I get that. You may be somewhere else, but I wouldn't be here. This building wouldn't be here. The missionaries that are on the field, the ten planters that have gone out, the, the five missionaries that are out on the field, they might be there another way, but they wouldn't be there because of our church. It all started with Miss Mary Thompson when I was five years old. And then when I was seven years old, Ron Gresham. And then when I was ten years ago, Miss Morrow. And then when I was 12 years old. So that penny, it just keeps multiplying. And now we've had 10 different plants that people are coming to Christ and that, those pennies are multiplying. You ever thought about that? It's amazing. And it all starts with that penny with a five-year-old teacher. Hey, you may think what you're doing does make a difference, but you don't know who you're investing in right now. So here's my question to you. What are you doing with the penny God's giving you? You're going to just be an attender? You seeker? You're just going to consume? Are you going to be a provider? I want to challenge you to take that penny and to let it double over and over and over. Little as much when God is in it. And for him who's able to do immeasurably more than you could ever hope or ask or think or dream, let him do it through your life. Would you do it? Let's pray. God, I pray for our church today. Lord, I thank you for the local church, and I thank you for the opportunity to make an impact, to receive, to equip, to impact, and to sin. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't forget what's happening right here. As I think of how Billy Graham was ministered to by a Sunday school teacher, how Moody, D.L. Moody, was ministered to by a guy who would just taught the Bible who didn't even have a high school education and led him to Christ. And Lord, as I think about the people who invested pennies into my life, till one day I look back and I say, thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, I so thank you for the men and women and even the teenagers who invest in children here and invest in the lives of others here and invest in the life of adults. I thank you, God. And Lord, I pray that we would take that call seriously and that we would... Let the penny of our life be multiplied by the living Spirit of God through the eternal church. Lord, one day when we get to heaven, Lord, we want to stand before you. And God, I hope that each of us are just overwhelmed by the little things that we did that we didn't think made any difference, but that you used to help lead people to come to Christ, boys and girls and men and women. Lord, let us not miss this opportunity to be the church. Let us not get before you with empty hands because all we've done is consume. 
but let us be providers. Let us be the ones who say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Send me. God, I'm available to you. I want to make a difference here and for eternity. Because it's all about you. I recognize it's not about me. It's all about you. So for your glory, I give you myself. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.